Before we get to this episode, just to say thanks to everyone who's bought my new book, Champion Thinking, How to Find Success Without Losing Yourself. Published by Bloomsbury, the response has been terrific. It's an Amazon bestseller. It's been top 20 in the airport charts consistently, and the reviews have been terrific right across the board. And if you like this episode that you're about to hear on Flow, you'll be sure to enjoy Champion Thinking. Head to my website, simonmundy.com or Amazon, Waterstone, Smiths, places like that to get your copy. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome back to this mini-series on the Life Lessons podcast called Success Evangelism and a New Way of Being with me, Simon Mundy, and my co-host and wife, Alex. So one of the problems I would suggest with success evangelism is it's about finally getting fulfillment by achieving something in the future. The implication, though, of that is that we're not enough now. An idea I would suggest is both wrong and also quite corrosive. So a key aspect of recognising our innate wholeness and recognising that we are enough is to do with acceptance. So self-acceptance on the one hand, but also acceptance of events and other people because when we resist how things are, we suffer psychologically unnecessarily. So this is about what acceptance and self-acceptance really is and why it is absolutely crucial. But it's also about recognising where acceptance is to be found. Acceptance isn't something we do with the mind. It's something we stop doing. So Alex and I discuss acceptance and all its nuances, which also is a chapter in my book, Champion Thinking, How to Find Success Without Losing Yourself. And then we're going to hear specific examples after the break from the likes of Johnny Wilkinson, Ironman athlete and oncology nurse Lucy Gossage and non-dual teacher and philosopher Rupert Spira. Enjoy. Watcher. (laughs) Can you start telling me how you're going to start these things? Here we are again for what is episode three of Success Evangelism and a New Way of Being on the Life Lessons podcast. How are you enjoying it thus far? Um, I'm really enjoying it. Thanks to everyone for your lovely comments. They do mean a lot. Today we're talking about a big subject that does relate to success evangelism and a new way of being. This big subject is acceptance. That encompasses self-acceptance, other acceptance, acceptance of events in the world, but just under the umbrella term of acceptance. I think we should start with that quote that you put in your book, that really good one. By Jeddah Krishnamurti. That's the one. Okay. Jeddah Krishnamurti, who was an Indian mystic, and as he came towards the end of his life, he gave one of his most famous talks. He he was surrounded by his followers and people were interested in what he had to say, and he leaned forward and whispered, do you want to know what my secret is? And of course, this was 
so exciting for people because everyone wants that golden bullet, that little bit of information that's finally going to complete the jigsaw for them. And so everyone was sat bolt upright. And he just said in this soft voice, my secret is I don't mind what happens, which can on the face of it seem like a bit of almost like a disappointing comment. I can imagine some people there like being deflated almost. But actually, it's it's a completely profound comment. It's so important. So like, what do you make of that comment? I don't mind what happens. What do you think he was getting at? Well, I mean, it would be the answer to everything, wouldn't it? It would be the answer to living a completely happy life. Because if we accept everything that comes our way, we have no resistance against anything and therefore no suffering. Mm. So Psychological suffering. Yeah, so he is definitely on the money. But, <laughs> but in practice, obviously that is very tricky. Of course we care what's going to happen. We don't want bad things to befall us. We don't want bad things to befall our loved ones. We don't want bad things to be happening in the world as mm. many things are happening at the moment. So it's very difficult to get in line with this. But I do think that there is a way of incorporating this into your day-to-day life yeah. which I um after I first read that quote can I tell this story about being locked out yeah all right go on <laughs> so um when I think it was the week that I'd read this quote and I thought oh that's quite interesting just for context because you were helping with, you were the basically helping with my draft I was editing you I was yeah. editing it wasn't all I right, yeah. so I headed out for a walk lovely day thought oh I'll go, go out for a nice walk with the baby and you were in the garden at the time weren't you so I mm-hmm. as always by default went and checked that the back door was locked it was tick um <laughs> headed out myself um had forgotten Without my key in the world <laughs> had forgotten my keys but wasn't so bothered no, I hadn't no, well 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 not hadn't forgotten your keys one of my bugbears, you rarely take your keys out with you. I always have to remind you, anyway, well, just to add that for context. But the on. thing is, post-lockdown, we're always at home. So if I don't have my keys, I know there's going to be someone to let me in. Mm. However, I put the baby in the pram, went off on my merry way, didn't realise that I'd locked you in the garden, and then get a call from you. And I, did, and I had a meeting in about like 45 minutes' time. Yeah, yeah got a call from Simon. Absolutely furious with me that I've locked him in the garden so I'm like oh well that's okay I'll come home and let you in only I couldn't do that because I didn't have my keys now having read this quote I was like hmm on the face of it this (laughs) this isn't a great thing to happen however living as a sage I think it just is what it is. I'm yeah. not. I'm not going to be buffeted by this in I'm any way whatsoever. So I was very, very nonchalant about this event. You weren't. No, I mean I was. I think it's fair to say I was flustered. You were flustered, but I was very much like, well, it's happened. So let's call a locksmith and move from there. And actually, we we were very lucky because there's a high street very close to us. Well, by the time I got home from my walk, the locksmith was here, which was handy because you made me pay the bill. But anyway... Bloody right. (laughs) But but anyway, uh, the point is, this was a very small scale integration of this I don't mind what happens. Because obviously on the face of it, being locked out of your own home is not ideal. However... You were certainly cool with it. I was cool with it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, me less so. But you're right. He did come round, got us in the house. Wasn't as expensive as I thought it'd be. Actually showed us how to use the lock properly as well, which was a a bonus. Any burglars out there, you've missed your chance on our house. (laughs) So I think what you're saying is a really valuable point is that that Jeddah Krishnamurti quote of I don't mind what happens 
it's definitely a lofty aim and absolutely you can shift the dial dramatically in that direction. I've, I've certainly done that. But I think a good place to start is things like what we went through that day. An even more obvious example would be being in a traffic jam. Right, You're stuck in a traffic jam and you've got to be somewhere in 20 minutes time. You can rage against the injustice of it. Beep your horn. I've got to be there on time. That resistance to what is the traffic jam is not going to do anything to speed you up. And all it's going to do is rob you further of peace in the present. Yeah, you're just going to ruin your own day. That You may as well get in line with it because you can't do anything about it. You have to fully accept it. Yeah. And then even if you are a bit late, you're going to then turn up in a better state than if you're, you've been in the car like banging your fists on the steering wheel. So I think do think it's about trying it with these smaller things first and then sort of scaling it up because bad things do happen like tragedy is going to befall all of us just quickly give an example from the book lucy gossage who is or was one of britain's top ironman triathletes also does some amazing charity work and is an oncology nurse who works with cancer patients who and obviously has to share like devastating news and diagnoses and stuff regularly and that's just awful and i remember she told me this one story about a young lad I think late teens, he went for a run, fell over, broke his leg. Mm. What They went to treat his leg and in the process found that he had a massive tumour in his leg. He then went through all sorts of like really invasive and painful treatments over the next year until they eventually came to the decision that like we can't actually do anything about it. So they had to amputate his leg. And she said that she asked him at the end of this period if I'd have told you what you'd have had to have gone through over the last year before it happened, what would you have said? And he would, he said, well, I wouldn't have been able to accept it. I wouldn't have been able to cope with it, but he did. And she says that that's always the case. Like people go through this, like these most awful, terrible things, but they are always capable of doing it. And I remember her saying that, you know, it's a, it's a testament to the human spirit. Well, it is a testament to the human spirit, but I think ultimately there is no choice but to accept it. Mm. Whether you're you're devastated in your life, you know, you feel really negatively about your life or you feel the opposite. Either way, you have to accept it because it's what's happened. It is just what it is. It is, is that what it is. It is that yeah. saying, yeah. I think so. You use um, the example of Johnny Wilkinson again in this chapter, don't you, to talk about acceptance? Yes. Okay, so Johnny's a really good example. So he's gone on this real ev evolution from someone who really struggled with acceptance to then going on this journey where he got to a state where he spoke about the infinite capacity to accept. And I can talk about, or we can talk about what that means, but early in Johnny's career, so Johnny was obviously you know, a prodigy, made his debut for England, I think as he was an 18 year old. And, um, and he went on in 1998, I think it was the tour of hell where England toured Australia and New Zealand and just got trounced and basically pretty much the majority of the squad never went anywhere near an England shirt again. That was never going to happen with Johnny, but Clive Woodward, who was still a fairly new coach at the time, said that he saw Johnny in the changing room afterwards of one of the matches, the Australia match, and he just looked shell-shocked. And Johnny spoke about he felt that there was always certain things that he would be unable to accept for example, letting his family down. And another one was humiliation on a rugby pitch in front of the public, in front of his family and friends. And that's exactly what happened. So 
the mental storyline was around this shouldn't be happening. This shouldn't have happened. And the resistance to what happened coming through his thoughts about it, his judgments about it, meant that he suffered for months and months and months. After. He just couldn't let it go. It was basically in a period of mourning because he was resisting what had already happened. And actually that stemmed, that caused him then to become the the player who was so controlling about, about his training, who went to the nth degree. He spoke about it being like an insurance policy so that he never had to feel those feelings again. Now that obviously served him for a period of time, but then eventually led to mental health issues his body breaking down and all that kind of stuff and then during Johnny's pomp during the height of his career he would be like tormented in the week between matches because he would be fretting about things that had happened as per the tour of hell but also that in this state of anxiety about what possibly could go wrong in the matches in the upcoming week so he'd be what if this happens what if that happens what if what if we lose what if I let this person down and he would be just absolutely like a coiled spring like full of anxiety but then he would go out onto the pitch and when the whistle went and he was present to what was actually happening he felt free because he was able to deal with what was happening in the moment as opposed to trying to deal with something that only existed as a thought in his mind about what might happen in the future. And I think that's something we can all relate to, right, is, is thinking that, oh, my God, this might happen, that might happen, I might lose my job, whatever it may be. But invariably, our thoughts about what might happen, A, tend not to happen, and B, even if they do happen, aren't as bad in reality as we imagine them to be. I think we've probably all wasted an awful lot of time worrying about things that might happen in mm. the future. Yeah, yeah. You and I are sat here now and everything's fine, yet we've spent a hell of a lot of time worrying about stuff that hasn't come to pass. Anyway, so just to finish Johnny's story, when I spoke to him, he's like, I understand about the infinite capacity to accept. So the moment of something that you don't want happening and the moment of acceptance had gone from being months early in his career to next to immediate or even immediate. That's, I think, the challenge with acceptance is to get that gap right down. Something happens you don't like is to get it right down to the sooner and the quicker you can get an alignment with it, the better. I think if you can accept things, I loved what you said about this. So, for example, if you're in AA or you're an addict or something, the first thing that you need to do is accept the situation that you're in in order to get better. So rather than being powerless, it actually puts you in a very powerful position because you're now able to use it as a springboard to go forwards. So acceptance is not powerless, it's powerful yeah. because it's about accepting and responding rather than resisting and reacting. You can't move forward and develop unless you acknowledge there's something that needs to be developed. It's like Michael Singer. Have I mentioned him every week? <laughs> when he talks about the thorn, how we oh, have yeah. a thorn. Yeah, yeah. We all have a thorn inside of us and we spend our whole lives trying to make sure that nobody brushes against the thorn. It's another way of saying you're trying not to be triggered. We have things that might trigger us. We spend our whole lives trying to arrange things so that we're not triggered, whereas actually it's better to be triggered because it shows us where we're not free and yeah. where we can do work to improve ourselves. Not that we need improving, but you know what I mean? To, yeah. to, um, to, to embrace those parts of ourselves that yeah. we're keeping in the shadow, that yeah. we're rejecting. Because to, for self-acceptance, you can't just be like, oh, well... I accept I, this part, but yeah, not this part. Exactly. I'm talented at this and I'm very kind and I do this well. Great, easy to accept. But what about the things that aren't so easy to accept? 
the, it's the full package. Like you have to take all of it and you have to accept all of it. A bit of a side note, this is why I think shadow work's so good. I've done a bit of shadow work myself and mm. bringing things out of the shadow. Because actually, sometimes we put in our shadow, not just stuff that we're ashamed about, that society deems to be not acceptable, etc. But oftentimes it might even be our gifts. You know, the golden shadow. The golden shadow. I wrote about this after I'd heard your podcast with Charlie Morley. So, for example, it might be a hidden talent that you don't want to let people know about or not wanting to put yourself out there so you hide it. Mm. This reminds me of, of something that I went through. So I think it was about 2011, I was on a stag do. We're out for a meal, loads of us were there and I was having a bit of banter after a few drinks with a mate of mine. Bit of bants. Bit of bants. Anyway, and it was sort of went from like just jokey to a bit more pokey and and he said something like Monday you're insecure and I remember it really stung I was a bit like that's such an out of order thing to say how dare you say that and I got kind of angry and defensive and wanted to hurt him back in a way because he'd hurt me now that's exactly that Michael Singer story so the thorn there is this inner wound of insecurity but because I couldn't accept that I was insecure, it was therefore rather than saying, oh, I'm not free in this place. There is some truth in what he's saying. It's like, no, I want him to change him, stop him from saying that so that I don't have to experience this inner wound. Whereas now, if someone said to me, oh, you're insecure or, or anything like that, if you can accept that, if you could be secure with your insecurity then you're kind of not insecure anymore. Mm. That's that's the paradox of it. Mm. But you can only get there by accepting it. And like, okay, just in terms of some, let's say, core wounds. I think everyone's got core wounds, things they pick up from rejections and difficulties, in particular in childhood. Mine, I would say, has been in the past around shame, mm -hmm. which is I am bad. What would you say? Well, I know what yours is, but why don't you say <laughs> Mine is definitely guilt, which is I've done something bad. Yeah. They're similar but different, yeah. right? And so whenever in the past I used to feel feelings of shame, I would do anything I could to avoid feeling that. Same with you with guilt. And that's where that impulse to distract ourselves from these feelings is very normal, but it's a missed opportunity. Total missed opportunity. And there's so much potential to distract ourselves, I think, particularly these days mm. you know you only have to pick up your phone and start scrolling you're mm. numbing yourself and it's you know it can lead to addictions people do it with alcohol gambling shopping all these things mm. just to avoid feeling these feelings that they feel when they've been triggered whereas actually they can be alchemized into real set thank you into real self-development you, so you spoke about lots of different ways we distract ourselves, addiction, gambling, alcohol, drugs, phones, sex, whatever it might be. But another one actually is, is just going up into our heads and thinking. Yeah, well, I think that it is just um, it is a programmed bypassing of the feeling so that you don't have to feel it, that it just whizzes up into your head and emerges as, you know, all these frantic thoughts. Yeah. Just to give a quick example from my life. London 2012, I was there working for Radio 1. I was asked to do a live broadcast for Five Live. Felt like a really big deal. Thought big bosses would be listening. And then Jess Ennis, Mo Farah, Greg Rutherford all won gold. So it was like this monumental day in British sporting history. And I remember about an hour before a broadcast, I felt this sensation of, well, I interpreted it as anxiety in the pit of my stomach. And I tried to resist it and I tried to get away, get away from it. But... 
obviously that didn't work and all it did was it, it made it grow that went up into my head and I was having these catastrophic thoughts I'm going to mess this up you know this is the end of my broadcasting career I want to run away from here all this kind of stuff now in the event I did get through it and it was fine but I set, felt a sense of relief rather than enjoyment what should have been a really like wonderful moment as I learned more about acceptance and how to do it which is actually something we should talk about because I think people don't understand that in many cases fast forward a couple of years I was in the wings of a live TV broadcast felt the same feelings come up in the pit of my stomach but rather than try and ignore it or get away from it and disappear up into my head what I did was I went towards it and just became interested and it's just this these sensations these without the storyline of this is bad or or I want you to go away it's just this sort of intense tingly cluster of sensations that on their own without interpretation are actually fine which makes me think of you and flying yeah sorry just going back to what you were saying um i think that there's a very fine line between anxiety and excitement so it's actually how you interpret the feeling as well it's not that the feeling is a fact yeah yeah um yeah my own yeah so i had this um really debilitating fear of flying actually um and i went and got hypnotherapy for it which was actually the first sort of work i ever did on myself that was probably around 2009 and that, well, that actually resulted in something else. It wasn't really a fear of flying. It was something manifesting in a fear of flying. But let's not, let's not, we don't need to go too much into that. In we don't need to go too much into that. But the fear of flying, I mean, when, when we met, I was mm. still very scared about planes, wasn't I? I used to, oh, it all really came on. I was flying a lot, always by myself. Mm. And... Like it was having a really detrimental effect on my life because days before I'd be flying, I would start getting like quite ill. Um, stomach migraines, basically. Stomach migraines. Um, I would be. Oh God, it, it was it was really bad. Anyway, it wasn't as bad when we met, but I was still a very it was still bad though. Still a very nervous flyer. So I remember you encouraging me to go towards the feeling rather than try to escape it because I'd had all sorts of techniques. I had this I had this obsidian that I used to clutch obsessively on planes to try and absorb all my negative energy and I would try all these different tactics and nothing really worked. But when you actually go towards the feeling, it's just a feeling. It's, it's just a cluster of sensations. It, it is. So it's like cutting the storyline, cutting the narrative, go towards the sensations, be interested in the sensations, treat it like you're a scientist. Okay, I'm interested in this. What is this? What shape is it? What is it made of? So you become really interested in it. And then that is the opposite of resistance. And the thing that happened with you is it, it gradually un unwound to the point where you bloody love being on a plane now. Oh, I love it. Oh, long haul flight by myself is one of my favourite things to do. But I think that it also comes back to this idea, I think, I don't know what you think, that acceptance and control are two sides of the same coin. Yeah, so 100%. I think the feeling of being out of control on a plane, and I, I am someone who does like to be in control, which I've also done quite mm. a lot of work around, but being out of control there is nothing that you can do about that on a plane what are you going to do go and get in the cockpit and start trying to drive it's ridiculous so by accepting that there is nothing that you can do other than sit there 
that's that's kind of it. Yeah. So you're accepting, right? You're on a flight, so that's accepting your circumstances, external circumstances. But but also, but also I'm feeling nervous. You accept, accepting exactly, mm. accepting your feelings mm. and going towards the feelings rather than trying to distract or go away from them, because feelings just want to be felt. Like emotional suppression does not work. It's like trying to hold a beach ball underwater. There's that pressure. It wants to shoot back up. The same is true of feelings. If we distract ourselves or numb them or suppress them or try and get away from them, it doesn't make them go away. It just almost like adds another layer. What we need to actually do is counterintuitive is do a 180 and go towards the feeling. And actually that can be really, it's like a portal into something really quite deep and profound that we can again talk about later. But fun, well, first and foremost, it's just about going towards the feeling, not away from it. Well, we talk about this a lot in our house with our daughter, don't we? Yeah. So she, obviously she, well, she turns nine this week. So she often has little worries about school, what's going to happen the next day, what's going to happen if she can't get her swimming cap on when she yeah. goes to, you know, these yeah. little Tests. worries, which I say are little worries for her. Obviously, they're huge worries. And we all, well, you always say you're very good. She talks about your good information. <laughs> when she's upset, she'll be like, I need some good information. But we talk about welcoming feelings yeah. and she has this tactic where she invites her feelings in for a tea party doesn't yeah, she yeah, yeah, yeah. um it's beautiful actually it's really quite amazing and i was really tell proud. the dance story yeah so i was really proud of her she had this dance recital in a proper theater um first time she'd ever done anything like this and she was uh, even a few years ago like so shy yeah. so for a girl who was so shy like that to be getting up on stage doing a dance in front of an audience in seats is huge. Sorry, yeah. carry on. Yeah. And um, her, one of her friends was really worried and had a tummy ache. And she told Delilah that she had a tummy ache. And Delilah said, oh, you're probably nervous because Delilah often feels like that when she's nervous. So Delilah had already deciphered what was wrong with her friend. Um, and she said, you need to welcome your feelings. Mm. And I thought, God, how emotionally mature yeah. for such a young girl she's taken the technique that i've spoken about we've spoken about and, and made it her own so i've always said okay she's like oh i've got this funny feeling in my tummy i'm nervous about something i'm saying okay go towards it welcome the feeling and then she's turned into i imagine them as this feeling as people i'm inviting to a tea party and sit them around on chairs and they have little cups of tea and maybe a bit of a cake so in her own way, she's not resisting her feelings and she's got a hell of a lot better about it. But as you say, the power of acceptance was something I really started to appreciate in my 30s. Like, really, she's eight, <laughs> nine when this episode comes out. What a fantastic thing to know and learn. Like this is why it's talking about feelings and this kind of stuff is so important. But again, like I was saying last week about how they should teach meditation in school, they should be talking about this sort of thing in school as well. I'm sure to an extent they do in, in PSE or whatever their lessons are called, but not in this depth. Yeah. And I say this depth, it's actually very basic. Yeah. But we know so often the advice people are giving is just don't think about it, yeah, which, is which, which is a form of emotional suppression. It's like, no... Okay, you might not want to think about it, but you certainly want to you go towards it and feel it. Like the more you can accept your inner experience, the more powerful you are. Now, just to go back to the sensations, you talked about how excitement and anxiety are so similar. Without a storyline, it's just an intense sensation that wants to be felt. And 
that sort of leads on for me into like how do we do self-acceptance? Because mm. you say, don't you, it's not something that we do, it's something that we stop doing. So what do you mean by that? Yeah, so I remember speaking to a guy called Tom Curran on the podcast who'd written a book and he spoke a lot about self-acceptance because we agreed that there's been so much fixation on self-esteem and developing self-esteem. I'm not a huge fan of talking about self-esteem. And actually, there's a book written by Dr. Albert Ellis, who founded REBT. He's written a book called The Myth of Self-Esteem. And he calls it something like the biggest sickness known to man, which might be a bit OTT. But it's like self-esteem is about how do I rate myself? And you can only rate yourself in comparison to something. So he and I, this guy Tom Kerr and I, agreed self-acceptance trumps self-esteem because self-acceptance doesn't need to be, you know, in comparison to anything. It's about just welcoming what is. I remember speaking to him and I got the sense that he thought it was a something you do, which I think is a very common phenomenon. But it's about the thinking mind and the aware mind, right? So imagine a couple on a wedding day. They are excited about their big day. The weather forecast had been fantastic. And they wake up in the morning and they draw the curtains and they look out of the window. And for a split second, well, first of all, it's chucking down with rain. And for a split second, they are aware that it is raining. Then the thoughts come in. And let's say that she starts to think, what about my dress? What about my shoes? You know, I've obviously spent a fortune on my hair oh, this is not good. He, on the other hand, let's just imagine that he has uh, got a real interest in photography. He starts thinking, oh, this might not be ideal. But at the same time, the photos could be amazing. We could have some stunning photos against this backdrop of rain coming down that will last a lifetime. So who's right? Well, neither are right because the weather is neutral and then the thoughts are judgments about the weather. So where acceptance is really found is not in thoughts of this is okay or this is not okay because thoughts change like the wind. It's in that part of us that is simply aware of the weather before thoughts come in. Yeah, it's before the mind. Before the mind, exactly, right? We tend to think that we are a body and a mind, but there's something that is there before the mind that is aware of the mind because there's nothing to the mind other than thoughts, you know, images and words. So true acceptance for me comes in understanding again the difference between the thinking mind and the aware mind or thoughts and awareness thoughts can say yes or no the aware mind awareness is inherently accepting of whatever takes place it says yes to everything just consider that whatever it is that is aware of my voice or is aware of the sensations on the soles of your feet if you just notice them briefly or aware of whatever you can see, could you switch that awareness off? No, you can't do anything to it at all. You can't turn it on, you can't turn it off. It's always there and it's unchanging. Awareness is always there and is always accepting. It's like the space of a room or the screen on which a movie appears. So to me, true acceptance comes through recognising that there's part of us that is aware and that that part of us is always accepting. It's only our thoughts that go, I don't like this, I don't want what is present, and that's where resistance comes in. Now, you can't stop those thoughts coming up, but you can then also be aware of those thoughts, and then resistance just unwinds on its own. So it's, it's a non-doing as opposed to uh, something that you actively do. I remember talking about awareness, this inherently accepting awareness... Not that we have, but that is our nature, is our true nature. You can't 
it's always with us. It's the one thing that's ever present. So you can't separate us from this aware mind, this awareness that's inherently accepting. And I remember speaking about this with Michael Pollan, who, you know, the famous author, one of the Time magazine's 100 most influential people who did that brilliant documentary series called um, How to Change Your Mind. Changing Your Mind, I think, on Netflix. Oh, it was so good. About the power of psychedelics to help mental health. Highly, highly recommended. Anyway, when I said this to him, he was like, oh, okay, I get it, I get it. But then he said, but that's a bit like breathing. Like we, breath is inherent to life as well. And at the time I didn't really pick up on what he said or know how to respond skillfully. But in hindsight... The difference is you can hold your breath, even if it's only for a few seconds. You can breathe more deeply. You can breathe more quickly, but you can't make yourself more or less aware. I mean, you could shut your eyes and say, I'm not aware of what I can see, but you're still aware of the black of the inside of your eyes. The aware part has not gone anywhere. Yeah, you can manipulate the breathing process, but you cannot manipulate anything about awareness. No. Another thing I think worth saying about acceptance it's also about not clinging so we spoke about resistance i don't want what is present but it's also about not clinging to positive feelings this is difficult if you're sat with a really lovely glass of red wine at sunset after dinner on holiday that's the sort of thing where you're like oh i never want this moment to end this is amazing and but obviously the moment does end so you cause yourself suffering by hoping that it won't i mean this is the crux of a lot of what buddhism talks about is is non-attachment now non-attachment doesn't mean you don't care about people or possessions or achievements but it means that you don't cling to them because ultimately everything in life comes and goes and so it's our clinging to things and our resistance to things that causes us to suffer and just to put it into a really simple example i remember back in the day not even that long ago to be honest like my friends like a good night out i got to the point where i was quite good at recognizing when to leave a party or a night out you know i like to be in bed at a decent time so a party would be at it just at its top point at the exact point where you don't want to leave oh this is so fun I got quite good at being, okay, this is the time to leave. And then as soon as you've left, actually, it's about letting go of that party and getting back into, okay, you're walking to the station, you're getting the train, you're getting home, you're getting in bed, you're going to sleep. So you're you're present with whatever is happening rather than, oh, that was so fun. Do you remember that clinging to that moment? Of course, you can enjoy happy memories, but it's about letting things go for better or worse just as an aside a lovely diary editor that i know whose job is to go to parties we were at a party once and i said god this party's so good isn't it and she said yeah so it's time to leave and she literally left i mean that's (laughs) a a professional so that's a great mantra last few things then i think acceptance isn't something we do it's something we stop doing or recognizing that it's our thoughts that resist and cling to stuff and what you said, what's there prior to the mind, prior to thoughts, the awareness that's aware prior to them, that is inherently accepting. So that's really valuable. But it's like all we ever really have to do is accept this moment. You know, we spend so much time, as we've already said, worrying about the future. But if we accept just this moment now, then that's all you ever have to do. Take refuge in the now. Beautiful. That's so true though, right? Because 
the majority of psychological suffering comes from worrying about this might happen, this could happen, how's this going to be received? Oh, I shouldn't have done this, I shouldn't have done that. And that sort of keeps you trapped in time, as it were. Whereas if you just come back to this moment now, not thinking about this moment, this moment now, there's no problems here. So absolutely, I love that, what you just said there. Take refuge in the now. So let's just go back to that original quote from Jeddah Krishnamurti, which is, I don't mind what happens. Do you want to know what my secret is? I don't mind what happens. Mm. So the essence of that for me is understanding that you know, life is always going to be have ups and downs. It's going to be tragedy. But there's a part of us that can accept whatever happens. And the more we can get in line with that part, the part of us that is aware, the less psychological suffering we will experience. But when we resist reality, when we cling to things, then we're going to suffer more. Yeah, it's about getting in line with how things actually are rather than how you think that they should be. And then just to bring it back to success evangelism again is understanding that acceptance means, okay, accepting how things are outside of yourself, but also accepting how things are inside. So when you get triggered, when a feeling of shame and when a feeling of inadequacy comes up, it's not like, okay, I'm going to rush to achieve X, Y, and Z to prove to myself and other people that I'm okay. It's like, no, I'm going to lean into this feeling. I'm going to accept this feeling. In accepting it, I can actually transmute it, alchemize, to use your word, mm -hmm. And, you know, bring it out of the shadows and, and integrate it into my, my broader being. And again, it comes back to that recognition that we're enough as we are. And acceptance and self-acceptance is absolutely a part of that. Absolutely. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. We're now going to hear from three guests who I've discussed acceptance with. Johnny Wilkinson, Rupert Spira, the non-dual teacher and philosopher, and Lucy Gossage, the Ironman triathlete and oncology doctor. The tour of hell that you went on, so where England got pretty yeah. much battered, didn't yeah. they? How formative and actually valuable an experience was that? If you'd have asked me at various times during my life, I'd have given you different answers. All of them to do with this idea about, um, you know, without challenge, there can't be change or, you know, you need to, all this for improvement and, and everything. But from my position now, how do I look at it? It's, it's, it's a straightforward understanding of the infinite capacity to, to accept despite all the things before and you're thinking you know in, in my my myself at that time was built by these ideas of what what I could never deal with and they were the things I tried to keep out you know by controlling my life such as I could never deal with 
whether it be being sent off or letting my family down, all these kind of ideas I had at that time. Um, and one of them would have been being humiliated on a rugby field or whatever humiliation meant at that time. And uh, then it happens. And you sit around the change room going, this shouldn't be happening. Yeah. And I can't bear it. And and it's everything I never wanted to happen. You know, this is the young kid who, who yeah, always did this and always did this and this isn't right. So there's the resistance to there's it. There's huge resistance. But then the, the, but then the understanding comes from that experience that you can accept it because you do accept it because you, you move on. And as a result... It was a huge barrier that came down, not because suddenly I, you know, the the day after I woke up enlightened saying, well, hold on, I know I can do this now, because no, I didn't. I, It took me a while to get over it, but it doesn't matter how long it took. The point is, is that whatever I thought I couldn't accept, I did. Hmm. And I was able eventually to respond how I wanted and in a more powerful way. Now, over time and over the experience, what's happened is that time has become shorter for me to a space where it's much more instantaneous the accepting and the responding is is the same moment whereas then it was huge resistance for six months nine months a year whatever it took me to fully get over that and then you eventually move on and start getting on with it but now that time comes down I think for a lot of the guys in that World Cup team we'd then gone through all the Grand Slam losses where we lost to Wales, Scotland, Ireland, and then France, all in big Grand Slam deciders, won every other game, and it was and it never happened. For four years, it didn't happen. And uh, we'd all been through those things. And by the time we got to the World Cup final, also having almost lost to Samoa, yeah. uh, and then Wales in the quarterfinal, and then having a guy that keeps kicking goals to put us back into, you know, like into a tie for the World Cup final when we were that close to, to lifting the cup. When he kicked the last goal, you look at the guy's faces... And there is no resistance anymore. It's just literally like, it's almost flipping it the other way around. It becomes your favour. Because those guys, I think, and me as well, were thinking, I don't want him to miss this last kick. Because we don't want to win this World Cup because their guy missed the kick. We want to win it. We don't want to not lose it. Or to have it not, not won against us almost. And as a result, when it went over, everyone just moved as one to the halfway line in total understanding total togetherness um, and in a, the most complete, I think, performance in terms of dealing or, or thriving in a time-restricted, I'm not going to say pressure, but time-restricted situation against an incredible challenge, incredible opposition, we made something happen that was remarkable. Yeah, yeah. Purely because all of those guys had no resistance to the fact that In fact, actually, they said, we want the unexpected. Because if we get what we want the whole time, we're not going to grow. And at that point, the guys were like, let's see how we can grow from this. Yeah. Let's see what we can do next. As opposed to, please just give us what we want. It was like, no, 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 keep challenging us and we'll keep seeing what we've got. And in the end, we showed essentially what that whole five-year period had been about. Just to touch on the resistance then, just to pick up on that point. So, yeah, the resist resistance to what happens causes a lot of stress and disquiet in a lot of people. So it's accepting what is. It, it is, definitely. I think that... For me, what it what it means ultimately is that if I'm resisting, I think this is how I I live my life now. Is that those anything I get from resistance, which is yeah, much 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 less than it's ever been. But whatever resistance I feel, it's not coming from me now. It's coming from an old version of me that's telling me now how to live my life. And whatever an old version of me thought wasn't acceptable, this version of me now, right now, can accept anything. And that battle, resistance for me, has only ever been 
things working against each other. We mentioned about the gut and the and the brain. If they're not working in tandem, they're ever so slightly not working together, maybe working slightly against each other in some ways, you get stress. That's two forces working against each mm. other. Now, pressure and all those things for me is at the time, if you asked me when I was younger, I wrote a book when I was just after the World Cup because I was injured and they sort of said, you'd like you to write a book. So I wrote one and you read it, it's just black and white. It's just, it's just telling people how they should live their lives and what's right and wrong, mm. what's good and bad. And now that whole me was plagued by thoughts of pressure, stress and fear of failure. And all that came out of my mouth at that time was a verbalisation of that. I then live in a world now where I understand that if I don't have the thought what if this goes wrong for me? Without that thought, there is no pressure. If I come in here to do this interview with you and I think, what if it doesn't go well? Now it's like, oh, and I'm under pressure. I've got to get this right. But if I don't have that thought, there's no pressure. It's not that there is pressure or there isn't. It's without that thought, there's not. Um, yeah. But that thought, what if it goes wrong for me, doesn't help my performance. Mm -hmm. Because my performance is at its best when I'm effortless, light, connected. And that thought creates stress, fear and tension. So that thought is working against me. Now, if my mind's working against me, then I have resistance and mental health. And as a result, my whole life has been about, like I said, realigning so that everything is working as one to make sure that I can be however I, you know, I want to be, you know, to make the most of every second. And, and in those days, my story was, I'm really important which means I'm always under pressure, I'm always stressed, and you can tell how important I am because of how stressed I am yeah. and how fearful I am is because I want it more than you. Yeah. But actually, as soon as the whistle goes, a brilliant analogy that everyone uses, not uses, just a truth it seems for everyone, that in the changing room, oh, I hate it, it's so tough just before the game, I can't bear it and all this, but when the whistle goes, I'm fine. The understanding for me was that when I was in the changing room, I was trying to live in the future. When the whistle goes, that version of me in that moment then just realizes I've always been capable. But when you live in the now, you're always capable. Yeah. When you try to live in the future, you feel helpless because I'm not equipped now to know the future. Of course not. And that's what everyone does in the change rooms. I need to know how this goes. I need to know it goes well. And all it does is creates an internal environment that wrecks you. So people often say to me, do you think you'd have played better if you'd have had this mindset back when you played? And the answer is, this is the only mindset I ever had when I played. It's just in between the games, I somehow created a world of stress and pressure. Yeah. Same way you look at a kicker now, they're playing beautifully in the game. The referee puts his arm up and says, penalty, you're going to kick it goal. And you watch the behaviour of the kicker all of a sudden. He goes from being totally absorbed and engaged and involved to suddenly, oh God, here we go, stress, pressure. Because it's not because the kick is more pressure than the action they've just been doing. It's because they've got time to now think, what if this goes wrong for me? Yeah. What if I let the team? All those thoughts which don't help because just a minute before they're beautifully engaged. They're, they're doing incredible things without thinking. And now they've got a bit of time to think. I had time to think between my games and I used that time to do anything but prepare myself for the game. I did the opposite. I stressed the hell out of my body. I messed my mind up all over the place. And then I went in, the whistle went, I went, oh, God, life's great. And I then made up this idea that all that stress led to that beautiful moments so I stressed some more thinking that it would bring some more beauty at the end of it and it kind of ended up doing the opposite yeah so he's buying into that story and that thought you know what if what if this goes wrong obviously it, it was ext extreme in your case and extreme in the case of elite athletes like your teammates you know wanting to know how the match is going to go but everyone can relate to that 
And it is a very debilitating thought, isn't it? It mm. stops people doing things because, like you say, they imagine a future and an imaginary future can be pretty overwhelming. But actually, the reality of it, the present very rarely is something we can't deal with. Well, I think I think the absolute present, the absolute present has already been dealt with. It's already being dealt, dealt with. So when you're saying the present is... It's always the thought of what's next, that's, yeah. and it's and the absolute present has already been dealt with. Um, you know, one of the guys that I think you mentioned, we have some people in common that we we follow. One of his expressions was that this moment now is inevitable. That's it. And now, because it's inevitable, it's already been dealt with. It's, it's here now, yeah. and that and and coming to that understanding then allows you to make the next moment something far more incredible. Mm-hmm. And I think. As for me, it's a really good representation of that whistle. When the whistle goes on a rugby field, you just let go. Yeah. And that moment at the end of 2003, one second before it, if you'd have said, stop, just think about this moment now, yeah. I'd have fallen on the floor, <laughs> I'd, have, I'd have picked my knees out, hugged them to my chest and just rolled around on the floor being like, take me out of here. Because I can't deal with the implication, the apparent consequences of this and the what if this and what if that. It would have destroyed me. As it was... On that field, when you're in that moment, you let go and allow, and whatever is supposed to be. Now, all that training, all the prep, the prepa- preparation beforehand, then allows you to be ready. Yeah. The mind didn't allow me to be ready for that at all. It was my mind let go and allowed me just to be, and then uh, yeah, and then the the all the work and all the dreams and all the desires just came into being. Like I said, it's the one moment on a field where I have very little experience of what happened apart from observing it for me the most obvious example of this is babies when babies are born out they pop and it's immediately obvious that they don't need to do anything to be lovable acceptable absolutely fine it's absolutely obvious in fact that's almost when they're at their most lovable, when they are without identity. They may soil themselves in polite company, but we don't bat an eyelid. And it's only as we, <laughs> only as we, as thought starts to come in that starts judging things as as yes. good or bad. So I'm thinking of Johnny Wilkins, and he he talked about an understanding of his infinite capacity to accept, because awareness it doesn't say no to this and yes to that or this is good or this is bad that part of us which is aware says yes to everything it's only when thought comes in that starts labeling things as good or bad and also believes that we need to aggrandize or that we're broken so that's why i always prefer self-acceptance over for example self-esteem which is like i'm good at all this stuff actually no it's self-acceptance is more in line with that awareness part which is just a big fat yes. Yes, awareness says yes to everything indiscriminately, just like the space of your room accepts whatever takes place within it indiscriminately. Whereas the mind says yes to some things and no to others. So self-acceptance, there are two possible interpretations of self-acceptance. Self-acceptance, we could say, is either the nature of awareness, and it, it is inherently accepting or allowing of whatever takes place within it. In other words, self-acceptance is what awareness is, not what awareness does. Now, 
we said that the mind says yes to some things and no to other things. There's another kind of self-acceptance which involves the mind saying yes to certain things about ourself. That is not the true self-acceptance. It may be a stepping stone, but it is, it's not real self-acceptance. It can change any time into its opposite. The true self-acceptance, which is awareness's inherent openness to every aspect of experience, that includes every aspect of our own character, it cannot change into its opposite. It is what we are, not what we do. As such, it is the true self-acceptance, and it does not need to be practiced. We only have to practice something that is not essential to us. That's the beauty of this. It's a matter of understanding or recognizing the nature of ourselves rather than practicing anything or becoming something. Gillian Sewell, who's this amazing mum of a young, a young patient who died that I spoke to on the podcast, they did so much living in his last eight weeks of life that it it's it's literally so it's just incredible seeing how they spent that time. And I've learned as an oncologist to not see that as success because he was 18 and he died, but he did get those eight weeks to live and he wouldn't have had those eight weeks had I not had that really honest conversation and had his mum and he and his dad kind of made peace with it and that they couldn't change that, but they could change how they, how they lived those eight weeks. And they mm. did. Um, and I, like, I often say it to my patients, actually, I think when people just think that oncology is really depressing and of course it's sad, it really is. It's heartbreaking sometimes, but you really do see humans at their, at their best. And, you know, if I talk to a young person who's 20, you know, as an example, who's a young guy, big, big guy, walking down the street, broke his leg, just tripped down the curb, broke his leg. It turned out he had a massive cancer in his femur and his main leg bone. Um, and he then had to spend 10 weeks on traction. So he couldn't even leave his bed in a single room, getting poisoned with chemo. Then he had his leg chopped off. Then he had another five months of chemo. I remember saying to him, and I, I say it to most, to a lot of my patients now, like a year ago, if you were told you'd had to go through that, how do you think you'd have coped? He was like, well, I couldn't have coped. Like, but you, you just have done. You've just gone through that and you've come out. And everyone, everyone who's not been through that, they think they can't cope, but every single person does. Thank you for listening to episode three of this Success Evangelism and a New Way of Being mini series on the Life Lessons podcast. I do hope you enjoyed it. A massive thank you to everyone who has already been in touch and please do keep the messages and questions coming via my website simonmundy.com and also do consider signing up for my newsletter called A New Way of Being where I do deep dives into topics like this to try and share ways of bringing more peace, joy and acceptance into your life. Until next time, goodbye.